Jacob, oh, hey, Jake, guys. Jake, how's it going? Listen, what's going Jake, on? Jake, this is my friend Thomas. Hello, Hi, Thomas. Nice to meet you. Nice I saw you. your um, your picture in uh, Shepherd Weekly. Yeah, yeah. oh, I yeah, know. That was a good article. That was embarrassing. <laughs> that was embarrassing. That was a good article. Don't worry about I know, it was, but it was silly. Any yeah. publicity's good publicity. Uh, I guess that's yeah. what they say. Hey, you check, know? check it out. Um, Thomas just had a baby. What? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is. Uh, I've got Congratulations. The, uh, I've got the scroll of him here, actually. The yeah. boy or a girl? Yeah. Uh, it's a boy. Oh, yes, that is a boy. There he is. Charcoal and parchment. Wow. There's my little shepherd. Nude, huh? Yeah, you just carry that around. That's how they come into the world. Yeah. Well, I guess that's true. That's true. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. That's so, awesome. uh, so, I believe you've got some pretty uh, yeah, yeah. amazing news yourself. So, oh, uh, no, you weren't here. No, yeah, he doesn't believe No, mean. no, no. You I were on know. paternity leave. Yeah. That's I, I, it. Yeah, I was yeah. telling him, and he didn't, he didn't believe me. Oh, man, it was crazy. Yeah. All right, so it's, uh, it's Tuesday night, like midnight-ish, and we're sort of getting ready for the night shift, right, right. you know. So then uh, out of nowhere, boom! 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 <laughs> it was like an angel yeah. appeared, but but not just an angel. angel. An angel. No, yeah, not, but not like a, a, a host a of angels. A gaggle of angels. Right. No, it was an exact host. A host. Oh, okay. A host. Okay. I think it was exactly a and host. Was and anyway, so I start freaking out. I think maybe I'm having some sort of hallucination. Right. Uh, yeah. And But then I noticed this guy also bugging out. I'm like, oh, uh, yeah. Exactly, he was doing exactly that. And so then, and then, and then the angels, they actually say to us, dudes, don't freak out. Don't freak out. We, we come bearing good news. Good tidings. Yeah, tidings. exactly. Tidings. That, that the, they did say tidings. Of great that, joy. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And uh, 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 the Messiah has been born. Yeah. And uh, if you want, he's uh, he's in a manger in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. The, yeah. Hang yeah. on, hang on. Yeah. The King of Kings, the Messiah, the King of Kings. is here. But yes. no, not yes. only is he here, yes. 
he's in a feed trough. Yes. No, he's not in a feed trough, he's in a manger. It's the same, same thing. Same thing. You're a shepherd. Well, you yeah. should know that. A feed trough makes it sound so cheap. So anyway, so, man, yeah. uh, uh, that's so, really true. Yeah. And we went and saw him. But, but anyway, this this kid, you believe he's the Messiah. Oh yeah. And Without you're a doubt. gonna Absolutely. you're gonna hang all your hopes on this this kid in a in a trough. Yeah, man. He's not a football team. He's yeah. like the Messiah. Okay, okay. You know, whatever gets you through the shepherding night. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Is that pizza? It yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, I ate all I could. You're, you're welcome to it. I gotta get back to the thing. I love that video. Every time. Every time. It's great. Hey, welcome. My name is Clay. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I have not had the chance to meet you, I'd love to say hi to you after the service. So come on up and we can uh, chat for a couple minutes. And if today is your first day here, we are really excited that you have come out on this uh, beautiful but uh, snowy and icy morning and glad you made it safely. And we would love for you to stop by our guest center. We have, as Rich mentioned, we do have a little gift for you and the folks there would love to answer any questions that you may have. And so I want to kind of pick up on, uh, on that video. And uh, as we were talking about this earlier this week, I just love the line where the shepherd whose name is Thomas says, so you're telling me that the king of kings the Messiah is here, and he's down there in Bethlehem in a feed trough. And then the one named Joseph responds and says, no, 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 it's a manger. It's not a feed trough, it's a manger. And they know it's the same thing. And he says, it makes it sound so cheap. And that, that interchange there uh, really captures kind of the irony or even more so the unexpected nature of Jesus' birth. I mean, who would have thought if you were in the first century, that the Messiah, that the King of kings and Lord of lords is going to be born in the obscure town of Bethlehem rather than the capital city of Jerusalem. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that he would be born to an unwed mother from a working class family because Joseph was a carpenter and Jesus grew up as the son of a carpenter and essentially that meant he himself was a carpenter. You'd expect him to be born not to a working class family but into royalty or at least into a priestly family at that point. Who would have expected him to have been born in a barn and that's what the stable was. You know, we've got this beautiful picture of this clean hay and you know this beautiful wooden manger that's not a feed trough. It's a feed trough and the hay is dirty and the animals are smelly and the barn is crowded and it's noisy and this is not the kind of place that the king of kings and lord of lords is supposed to be born. You know, you'd expect him to be born like in Beth Israel Hospital in downtown, you know, Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or, or whatever the major city was going to be there or at least the Hyatt Regency if he's not going to be able to be born, you know, in, in, a, in a hotel. Uh, and then, who would have expected that the angels are going to announce his birth to a bunch of shepherds like out in the middle of a field somewhere after midnight. The announcement should have come in the Jerusalem Post, in, this, you know, in the society section, or proclaimed in the streets and to the, you know, at the palace or at the temple or wherever it is. And instead, God chooses that the first announcement is going to be to a bunch of shepherds. And it just, if you were in the first century, it just slams your categories 
because that's not the way that you would have expected for the Messiah to have been born. And I want us to take a look at this this morning and look at a couple of aspects of the story with the shepherds, but also the story with the Magi to help us to get a feel for what that unexpected nature of Jesus' birth was. So let's go back to the story about the shepherds and pick up kind of where the video left off and and fill in some of the details. So when the angels had left them in Luke chapter 2 and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's just go check it out and find out what's going on. So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feed trough, in the manger, in the feed trough. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And if you were with us a a few weeks ago when we were talking about Psalm 23, uh, you may remember the shepherds were not like the pillars of society. They were not the people whom you would think of if you wanted to make an announcement about something important and then have them be the ones that are going to spread this news. But God, for some reason chose to do it that way. And, and the shepherds, I was trying to think of what a modern day equivalent is and you know, to, to the shepherds. They're kind of like our municipal workers, the people who stayed up all night last night plowing and salting the roads. You know, we don't think about the folks who are doing that uh, you know, for us, yet without them, it would have been a whole lot more difficult to get here to church. Or the guys back in the booth, and without them, you, know, you wouldn't hear me, you wouldn't see the, the stuff on the slides. Or the, or toll collectors. You know, in in our family, as we're driving down the Garden State Parkway and we're coming up to the toll, getting ready to, to pay the toll, and, and somebody told me, I'm going to interrupt myself here. Somebody told me, don't tell them that you pay tolls in the Garden State Parkway because that means you don't have Easy Pass. And what are people going to think if you don't have Easy Pass? I don't have Easy Pass, and I'm proud of it because I get to talk to the toll collectors. So as we are driving up. To the toll, my wife and daughter are always reminding me, you got to say at least seven words to the toll collectors. It's a very depressing job and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And if you don't speak seven words to them, you know, it's going to be a challenging situation for them for the rest of the day. And it may make their day if you'll speak seven words to them. So we always try to come up with a way to speak at least seven words and encourage these folks. Why? Because they're overlooked and they get to breathe our fumes all day, you know. And that's the situation with the shepherds. They were the un- or underappreciated people of society. And yet, rather than announcing it to kings and priests and you name it, God chooses to announce the birth of the Messiah first to a bunch of shepherds in a field. Who would have expected that? Where did that, where did that come from? Israel at this time is living under Roman oppression. They had been occupied by the Roman army, the Roman government essentially, uh, for many, many years at this point. Their leaders, Israel's political leaders, were effectively, most of them at least, appointed by Rome. They are paying taxes to Rome, to this occupying power, and they hate it. 
and they're looking for someone to deliver them from this, you know, from this oppression of, of Rome. They're looking for someone from their perspective, kind of like a Moses, you know, who led them out of slavery in Egypt, uh, uh, you know, 1400 years before that. They're looking for somebody like that. They're looking for a political leader. They're looking for a military leader. They're looking for a charismatic personality who's going to unite the people together so that they're going to be able to rise up, whether it's violently or otherwise, <clears throat> excuse me, and overthrow Rome, you know, and, and make this change and free them from this situation. And instead, God sends them a baby to a working class family, an unwed mother, and the kid is born in a barn and put in a feed trough, hopefully with clean straw, maybe, you know, instead of being born into royalty or into the priesthood or just about any other strata of society except the one into which he was born. They're expecting royalty. They're expecting power. They're expecting influence. And what does God give them? He gives them poverty, humility, obscurity. Nobody, nobody would have expected that. We're going to flip over in a second to the Gospel of Matthew. There are four different accounts of, of Jesus' life, four different biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each of them comes from a little bit of a different perspective. And Matthew focuses on, on some of the royalty aspects. Luke is, is dealing with other ones. Matthew's focusing a little bit on the royalty aspects. And looking at Matthew's account of when the Magi came to visit Jesus gives us a little bit more of an idea of what the Jewish people uh, were expecting at that point. So let's take a look at that, Matthew chapter 2. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. So they're, they're, these Magi are... Gentiles, uh, they're goyim, if, if you're from a Jewish background. They're, they're not the people who you're going to expect to come and worship Jesus. You'd expect the Jewish religious leadership to come. You'd expect the average Jewish people to come. You don't expect Gentiles, non-Jews, to come and be excited to come and worship the, the Jewish Messiah and to bring in gifts and, and you know, etc., and yet God decides that he's going to have among Jesus' first, at least first recorded visitors, to be these Gentiles who were wise men, they were perhaps astrologers, maybe they were priests, they might have uh, been some sort of royalty uh, from, an, from an eastern country. But however you look at it, they're unexpected, and yet they're coming to recognize who Jesus is and to worship him and, and to give him accolades and to, get, you know, to give him gifts, etc. And then you've got this guy, Herod the Great, King Herod. He's a Jew, but he's the king over this area of Judea, and he's the king because Rome said he's the king. He was appointed to be the king, and in fact, because they liked what he'd been doing, the, Romans, the Roman Senate gave him the title king of the Jews, and that becomes significant as we get a little bit further uh, in, in the story. 
Herod was probably the equivalent in that day of Saddam Hussein, okay? He is, even though he's one of the people, he's hated by the people partly because he was appointed by Rome and partly because the guy was the Saddam Hussein of the day. And there was this saying in Greek that it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. And there's a play on the two Greek words there. The reason is because you had more chance of living if you were Herod's pig than if you were his son. He was paranoid and in his paranoia he ended up killing executing three of his sons because he thought that they were plotting uh, to overthrow him and whether they were or they weren't we don't know but the point was this guy was ruthless he was hated by the people and he was feared uh, really by all of the people and he would have seen Jesus as a threat to him because Herod was appointed king of the Jews but Jesus was born king of the Jews. And Herod recognized that if there's really, if the Messiah, if the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has been born king of the Jews is on the scene, then what does that mean for Herod who was simply appointed king by the Roman Senate? And Herod may have been familiar with the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 that Rich talked about a couple of weeks ago and Kyle mentioned last week. Let's just take a quick look back at that to refresh our, ourselves on that from Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and here comes the real key part. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Herod viewed himself, in some sense, as sitting on David's throne. But he was on David's throne only because the Roman Senate, the occupying power, had put him there. Here's one, if Herod knows this prophecy, here's one who's going to be put on David's throne by the king himself, by God himself. And so Herod sees this baby as a threat. And you can kind of guess, or if you know the story, you know what, you know what comes next. And so we're going we're gonna to go ahead and read that, starting in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Let me just stop there. He was disturbed. He was disturbed in more ways than one. Anybody who's going to try to kill his sons is disturbed. But in this particular case, he's disturbed. He's upset and all Jerusalem with him. Why? You got this ruthless, maniacal, you know, a paranoid king who's upset. The whole area of Jerusalem is going to be upset because they don't know what he's going to do and they do know what he's capable of. And so when he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, this is the religious leaders, he asked them where the Messiah was supposed to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. A smart guy, you know, he's kind of like on, on the sly here. Go search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. 
and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, so at this point, Jesus is no longer in the barn. He's living in a house. This is probably somewhere between six and 18 months later. So on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, so Herod, he's trying to do this thing on the sly. He forgot that there's kind of God involved in this thing. So they're they're warned by God in a dream not to go back to Herod. They return to their country by another route. And when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And watch this. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Magi show up somewhere probably between six and 18 months or so after Jesus had been born. He's no longer in the stable and in the manger. He's living in a house somewhere in the area. Magi come, Herod sends them off. Herod get, when, he, when, they, when they fail to return, Herod realizes he's been outwitted by them and he says, I'm taking no chances. And he says, all the boys, anywhere in that age range that this Messiah could possibly be, I'm going to have killed. And so hundreds, hundreds of boys are killed because of Herod. Later on in the story, we find out that Joseph, uh, that God told Joseph to take Jesus down to Egypt where he was safe, and so he wasn't killed. And again, Herod, he's trying to fight, but ultimately God is sovereign and God is going to have done what God wants done. But as I was thinking about this, I realized this is six, seven, probably you know, a year, maybe 18 months after Jesus had been born, and the news hadn't gotten to the royal palace. You'd think, you would think that God would want the announcement of his Messiah to be made, to be proclaimed everywhere, And yet it took a group of Gentiles to bring the news to the palace. And when it reached the palace, the king, who should have been overjoyed that the Messiah is there, who should have bowed down and said, here you go, this is rightly your crown. Instead, he's doing everything that he can to kill Jesus. What in the world was God trying to do there? Israel is expecting a political deliverer. They're expecting a military deliverer. They're expecting a charismatic personality who's going to unite the people together so that there can be a popular uprising, whatever it is, whatever way it's going to be. That's the sort of thing that they're expecting. They're not expecting a baby born in, a, in an obscure town to an unwed mother from a working class family. God didn't give them what they expected. He gave them something beyond their wildest dreams and better than they could have ever imagined. And like Israel, like the people then, we are so often looking for relief from whatever the situation is that we're in. Maybe it's the boss at work who's oppressing us and you, you, know, you say, hey, you, and, you, know, you used an analogy between Herod and Saddam Hussein, you should have used Herod and my boss, you know, whatever that may be. 
or maybe it's relief from our financial situation or it's relief from our health situation or for some difficult relationship. You know, we're always looking to God, rightly so. We're looking to God to deliver us from the circumstances that we're in and to help us in those situations. But what if, what if our greatest need is not physical? It's not saying that we don't have a health need, that we don't have a financial need, that we don't have a, you know, whatever the particular need is. Those are needs. But what if those are not our greatest needs? What if our greatest need is something deeper than that, something more than that, something perhaps spiritual rather than physical? As I was thinking about this these past couple weeks, I remember a poem that I had read, it must have been 20 years or so ago, and it was written by a man named Roy Lesson, who, those of you who have ever bought a uh, greeting card and looked on the back of it, this, was, this guy founded Dayspring Greeting Cards, so you may have run into it. And I looked up this poem, and I decided to modify it a little bit. So with apologies to him, I decided to modify it a little bit to fit perhaps our circumstances a little bit better, but I thought it really hit what we're talking about this morning. If our greatest need had been educational, God would have sent us a teacher, And if our greatest need had been military, God would have sent us a general. If our greatest need had been medical, God would have sent us a doctor. But our greatest need was relational, vertical relationship. Not just a horizontal, but the relationship with God. So God sent us his son. What if God knows our needs I believe he does. And what if he knows that our greatest need is not physical, but our greatest need is relational, and it's that we could have a right or a restored relationship with himself, with the creator of the universe, with the one who knows our needs better than we could ever imagine, with the one who knows us better than we know ourselves, with the one who cares for us even more than we care for ourselves. What if that's the case? Because if that is the case, then in the sending of his son, in this unexpected way, in this way that the people of Israel didn't anticipate, in the way that we wouldn't have anticipated, if we're honest with ourselves, if we had been living in that day, if God knows our need, our greatest need, and he met that in the sending of his son. Then what kind of a response ought we to have to that? It ought to be one like those Gentile magi had when they came and bowed down and worshipped him. Our greatest need is ultimately for a restored relationship with our creator. If we look at Isaiah chapter 9 again, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and then as Rich pointed out a couple of weeks ago, Prince of Peace. And when we read that, as Rich mentioned, we immediately hear peace among ourselves, peace in the world, no more fighting, no more war. And that's true, but in an even deeper way, What God is promising is this Prince of Peace is the one who's going to enable us to have peace with God, peace 
with our creator, peace with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then when we think about what the angels said to the shepherds when they announced Jesus' birth over in Luke chapter two, suddenly a great company, the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That was the announcement that the angels gave to the shepherds. Peace is here, and this peace has come through the person of this baby born to an unwed mother in a working class family, in a barn, laying in a dirty feed trough in this little suburb of Jerusalem called Bethlehem that some people heard of and other people didn't know. And that's the miracle, that's the blessing, that's the incredible gift that God has given us. God knows our greatest need and he knows that our greatest need is for peace with him and that's why rather than sending the Messiah primarily as a military or political or charismatic deliverer of the people, he sent him as a humble baby who is going to pave the way through his birth, his life, his death, unexpected, and his resurrection. Pave the way for a restored relationship with God. And so as we enter into, you know, basically the last week, 10 days or so now, uh, between now and Christmas, I want to encourage you to take some time each day and spend a, just a few minutes thinking about, praying about, maybe meditating on, maybe talking with, with uh, somebody about a couple of different questions here that I, can, that I think may be able to help us uh, to focus on what's going on here. First question is, what if God really knows my greatest need and it's deeper than I think? What if God really knows my deepest need and it's deeper than I think? Yes, God cares about my physical situation. He cares about my medical situation, my financial situation. He cares about all those things. But he cares too much to leave it at that. What if God knows that my deepest need relates to my relationship with him. Second question, who is Jesus to me? Who do I say that Jesus is? Do I see Jesus as a cute little baby in a greeting card picture in this sterile manger? Do I see him as a great teacher? Do I see him as a motivational speaker or an inspirational example? Do I see him as some sort of a, a, a divine vending machine that if I put the right prayer in and push the right button, out comes the answer that I'm looking to? Or do I see him as so much more? Yes, he's a great teacher. Yes, he's inspirational and, and on and on and on. But do I see him as so much more? Do I see him as the king of kings, the lord of lords, the creator of the universe who loved me enough 
to be born into those humble circumstances because he knows that that's exactly what I needed. And so let me encourage you to ask yourself really daily these two questions. What if God knows my greatest need and it is so much deeper than I think? And who do I really see Jesus as? Am I seeing him as the one who is meeting my greatest need? And am I responding in the appropriate way? Because if my greatest need is for peace with God, if that's my greatest need, then when God sent his son, he sent exactly, exactly what I needed. And that's, that's really what Christmas is about. Let's pray together. Father, it's just amazing to think that in spite of the fact that, that we so often see our circumstances as our greatest need, relief from health or finances or, or uh, a boss or, or whatever it may be, you know, you know that our deepest need is so much greater than that. And I thank you that you chose to send your son in the way that you did into humble, obscure, poor circumstances. And you did that because you loved us enough that you wanted to meet not just our felt needs, but our, our deepest needs. And I thank you that you did that. And I pray for myself, I pray for each of us. As we leave here, as we're getting ready for Christmas with all the cards and concerts and cooking and everything that's going on, Father, I pray that we would take the time to focus on you and on your son and what you've done for us and ask ourselves, what if you really know our deepest need? And then who are we seeing Jesus to be in our lives? And I pray that you would grant us a fresh and a renewed and a deeper understanding and appreciation for who you are, who Jesus is, and for all that you've done for us in him. We pray in his name, amen. Hey, thanks for coming out this morning, and we hope that, you'll see, that we'll see you back at the Christmas concerts later this week.